Welcome to Dragon Talk! Yay! Very Hi. excited to Hello. talk to you on this, the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, and who is that lady clapping a lot? Shelly Mazzanoble! She's a Mazzanoble. How are you? Very, very good. I'm excited because we have uh, so much going on in Dungeons and Dragons land. Yeah, we do. Talk about. Yeah, we do. It's going to be fun. And we also have a fantastic guest, Marika Nykamp. Uh, Nykamp is a uh, New York Times bestselling author, and they have a book out that is a love letter to RPGs. Uh, that I can't wait to hear about because I'm actually, you know, writing a similar, not similar, but a, a thriller as well set in Icewind Dale. And I can't wait to talk about uh, having the plot of this, uh, of this book uh, that is called This Is Where It Ends and Before I Let Go. Uh, they are a huge fan of Dungeons & Dragons and a love letter to RPGs is what this book is all about. And we're going to get to the bottom of that uh, and it's going to be fun. I I am very excited. Uh, uh, they are not just a New York Times bestselling author. They they are a number one New York Times bestselling number author. One. Only the best for our Dragon Talk guests, but uh, super cool. I was doing a little research on this guest, and um, I have ordered all of their books because they sound amazing, <laughs> and because I read a lot now. So um, simply the best. Yay! I love it. I love it. Um, in the meantime, we have some fun stuff to talk to you about for Dungeons and Dragons, including Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, available everywhere right now. It's a fantastic adventure set in the frozen north, dealing with some things that all of us are dealing with right now, including <laughs> isolation, desolation, uh, and not being able to Paranoia. trust. But yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, everyone around you, uh, it's been a fun adventure to peruse as I'm getting ready to uh, perhaps run it for my daughters. Um, still haven't really? kind of set a date for when to, when to start, but they were excited about jumping in to play uh, this campaign just because I think they really like the uh, the snowy or the barn owl yeah. visage of uh, a reel that um, is is adorning the cover. It's very cool. Yeah, um, especially because I, I do associate Edna with owls because her and I share a passion for owls, and she did make me that beautiful owl pick that I still have hanging up in my house. That's awesome. Yes, I maybe uh, uh, we'll get a uh, an owl familiar for her character or something Ooh, like that. Oh, yeah. I think she would for dig sure. it. Uh, so that's great. Playing it, we we celebrated it during D and D celebration uh, a few weeks ago, and it seems that everyone is paying attention. Did you see that uh, mural? Speaking of uh, the cover, <gasps> did you see that mural that someone painted yes. of the Hydro seventy four cover in their in their game room? Yes, looks so because cool. They just they just really liked the cover, and they recreated it. It's on, I saw uh, it on Reddit, so I don't know if it's making its rounds elsewhere, but that is amazing. That is great. I mean, I like our covers too, but I've never, I wouldn't have even an ounce of skill to 
even write an ampersand. No, even if they did, I mean, I think they might have done the projection of the of the image on the wall and then painted in, you know, while they can. Yeah. Like even that, I don't think I would be able to do it justice. That's uh, so, so cool. But it seeing looks, it on the wall, didn't you think like, oh, I kind of want that. <laughs> I did. I did. And I, you know, I'm looking around the white walls of my uh, game room here, which I always meant to adorn and paint and get things mm-hmm. going on there. So, you know, inspiration. Fun quarantine project. Hey, hey. Get the girls involved. Yeah, exactly. It probably would end up like that, uh, that recreation of that uh, portrait of Jesus. <laughs> it's probably what, <laughs> that's probably what my... Barn owl visage would look like. <laughs> to each, to each their own. I guess. Whatever works. For we can try. You. We can certainly try. Yes. Uh, but that cover is available only through game stores. It is alternate and it is fantastic. And I hope more people are getting into it. Um, I feel like I have to do a, a PSA on the dice sets. Yeah. The um, the Icewind Dale dice set. You do. Set because I got a sample. In the mail, you probably got yours too this week. And mm-hmm. it is stunning. And you really need to either like go look at a product shot of when that thing is like taken out of the um, packaging or or trust me. I hope you do. <laughs> <laughs> because it when you take it out, the box, the actual the box that turns into a dice tray, yeah. like the art on it is stunning. And it's foiled so it's got like this nice little shine to it and i just like love to just like hold it up to the light and play with it and turn it this way and turn it that way beautiful like super cool ampersand on the back and then of course it's a dice tray the dice are gorgeous and then it also comes with all of those cards that that talk about all of the different um characters and creatures that you'll encounter in the adventure and then like a little bit of information about them on the back Mm -hmm. so and a map so, I mean, it's jam-packed with stuff, but I was really, really excited about how beautiful that box is because I'm just leaving it out. It's at, Well, actually, right now, it's currently propping up my laptop because I need it to be a little yeah. hot, higher right now. But but normally, it's just sitting on my desk, and it's stunning. It's so, beautiful. It's like a it coffee really table is. item almost. Yes. Right? And then you can yes. it with all the other dice sets that we've got uh, out there, which have just been, you know, knocking it out of the park. Um it's 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 great. It's cool. It's so yes. cool. I saw on Twitter. Um, I think Justin Armand uh, did a unboxing, and I wasn't sure if it was going to work. But with the uh, with his camera, he was able to kind of capture the hologram effect, and it looks it looks stunning. And it's even as you said, better in person. Uh, it so. really is. And some of that you can't tell from the the exterior packaging, which the exterior packaging is also super cool. So you might think I'm getting a really cool dice set here, and then yeah. you're going to open it up, and you're going to be like, Oh no, I got like. Seriously, the best day set. I mean, Beautiful. kudos. I, I, maybe you know the answer to this, but kudos to whoever wrote uh, Ice Dice Baby. Uh, I know. On the back of the box cover text there. So good. Uh, perfect reference without going too far uh, yep. into um, you know being treacly or weird. So super fun. Uh, dig it. It's available now. Also, it was a, it was a week after the adventure, so you should be in game stores now, or you can order it. Um, great for uh, it's early gift if you're getting ready for yeah. um, uh, the holidays that are popping up, where you've got someone who on your list who's a D and D fan, and uh, you know don't want to uh, throw an entire book at them. Here is. <laughs> Shouldn't uh, throw a book at them. Yeah, well, anyway. you shouldn't do that anyway. I mean, metaphorically throw a book at them. <laughs> um, you can metaphorically throw some dice at their at their head and see what yeah. bounces off. 
You know, it's actually a, a good gift to give somebody who's thinking about playing D&D yeah. or has expressed interest in D&D or just started playing. Like, you know, here's your own dice. Because generally they don't come to the table with their own dice. That's but true. that's a nice way to welcome them. And the lore that office. you mentioned in those cards uh, is, is interesting to me because I think it was written under a certain voice, uh, the, uh, the, the text. And I, I don't want to talk about it too much right now but because oh, uh, I don't want to spoil anything but if you do get it it is it's a known character in Icewind Dale that is uh, providing the narration in those uh, cards I believe so oh that's a super I've, cool tidbit for you yeah but you'll have to get the box to find out awesome. um, also a great gift for a dungeon master who loves the gothic horror side of things would be Curse of Strahd revamped yep that's dropping on October 20th, it's got everything you need to play the one of the most popular adventures in the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition you know, time frame. Curse of Strahd, uh, written by uh, Chris Perkins. Uh, we'll be talking to him uh, to revisit what it was like uh, making this product as well as what it was like uh, originally writing that, uh, that adventure back in 2015. Um, right? 2015 or 2014 when he actually wrote it? I think oh, it might have been 2015. When he actually wrote it? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it's fantastic packaging there too we actually got a sample of those as well and uh, it, it blew me away with how fun it is to open and see what's in there oh yes and it's a coffin it's a coffin shaped box um i think some people are surprised by how big it is and how heavy it is though yeah. they couldn't tell how heavy it was but yesterday i was in a meeting and i showed it to people and i was like i just want to show you th- this box for scale and it's like basically my torso <laughs> 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 They were like, oh, that isn't what I expected. I think people think that it's like the size of a book, but it's much, much bigger and yeah. it's, it's extremely heavy and dense and it's filled with good, yeah, bloodthirsty. All, all the stuff you need to run with, you know, breaking it out into booklet form uh, for easy access of information, maps, uh, a nice uh, custom Dungeon Master screen for yep. the adventure, um, plus the postcards and Taroka decks. Uh, oh, that took deck cards with foil stamped on them as well. Is uh, I've always loved that was one of my favorite components of the adventure when it first launched was um, the artwork that was done uh, by uh, I'm gonna blank on their name, but it's fantastic uh, and it really is evocative and it brings you into that you know uh, Halloween milieu very well. So the fact that it's coming out on October 20th, right before that time, is fortuitous it's almost as if that was planned Shelly so weird October 20th is actually my dad's birthday which is why what oh. the real plan was we is your to dad be able to give it to him uh, Strahd von Zerovich that would be awesome <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah awesome is the word exactly now I want to speak to Mr. Jeremy Crawford about some fun stuff that is a part of the D&D rules has been for a long time but it's getting a option and some fun things to play with in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything coming out on November 17th we're going to get into it uh, on this coming stage advice on your origin what your character can do and customize that origin let's listen Welcome to another segment of Sage Advice, where me, Greg Tito, talks to Jeremy Crawford. Hi, Jeremy. Hi there. Uh, we, in this one, talk through some fun D&D mechanics and 
come up with answers to questions that you might have and using them at the table, as well as what the design intent is uh, behind some of them. And for this segment, we are discussing an interesting optional rule presented in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything uh, that allows characters, when they're being created, to customize their origin uh, and basically do, well, I'm not going to say do whatever you want, but maybe that is true. Can, can players now create their characters of their dreams? We definitely make it easier to, to get close to grasping that dream uh, because the whole point of this origin customization rule is to really let you accentuate the individuality of your character. Some people, when they make a character for D&D, are all about embracing some of the classic archetypes of D&D. You know, I, I want to play the elfiest elf who ever existed, and so I'm going to just, you know, pick the elf in the player's handbook, pair it with one of the character classes, and I'm good to go. But there are also many D&D players where a part of their thrill in character creation is creating a character who doesn't follow some of the game's classic archetypes. And we already in the game give you a number of choice points when you're making your character. In addition to choosing your character's race and class, you also, of course, get to choose your character's background, where you get a number of of knobs that you get to turn and levers to pull to really bring out the distinctiveness of your character. But even with those options, people can still feel constrained, especially by a few of the elements that are in character race. And Mm -hmm. race is actually the one main choice that we give you in the player's handbook where we don't actually give you much room for customization. In class, you're usually picking from a list of proficiencies for your skills. You're picking a subclass in background. You not only have a bunch of backgrounds to choose from, but we even tell you how to customize or your backgrounds or create your own. And so in a way, when we were looking at these three big pillars of character creation, race sort of stuck out like a sore thumb because it doesn't have in the player's handbook those same customization options. And so way back in early 2019, when uh, I was doing the outline for Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, one of the first things in that outline was we need to put in some ability to get under the hood of elf, dwarf, human, what have you, and introduce some customization Because we know that not only do people want to often play against type, there are other players who are uncomfortable with uh, the implication that, you know, maybe all dwarves are alike. uh, And still there are others who have a, a draw toward character optimization who often feel constrained uh, when they look at the different options and feel like, well, if I'm, if I'm going to play a rogue, then I need to pick elf or one of the other options that's going to boost my dexterity. Uh, you know, there are many, many players who will look at the ability score increases that are in a number of the race options and feel constrained by them. Mm. And we wanted to allow people to lift that, that sense of feeling constrained. Uh, 
because contrary to what many people might think, those ability score increases that are are in those different options, they're not there for game balance purposes. They are there strictly to reinforce the different archetypes that have been in D&D going all the way back to the 70s. You know, elves have always been extra dexterous. You know, dwarves have always been very hearty. It really has been just about archetype reinforcement. And because it's not there for game balance reasons, we give people the option in Tasha's Cauldron to take whatever those bonuses are. And, you know, and there are many different examples I could give, but let's pretend you pick an option that gives you a plus two to intelligence and a plus one to constitution. You could take that plus two and that plus one and put them in any ability score you want, you, but the rule is, is clear. You can't put them in the same one. So this is not okay. a way to take a plus two and a plus one and add them together into a plus three and dump them on the same ability score. Darn it. Uh, just, you can basically take them and, and assign them another way. Uh, this lets you, say, play an elf who, unlike a typical D&D adventurer, is not very dexterous, you know, and, you know, might even be a klutzy elf, uh, but is extra charming. And you take that plus two and put it in your elf's charisma. We want people to have that flexibility, particularly because we know under the hood, the game is not, is not relying on those bonuses being applied to particular ability scores. When you pick something like dwarf uh, or elf, Uh, it's much what our system cares much more about is just simply you have those bonuses worked into your ability scores. It's much less about which ability scores that they are applied to. Uh, and that makes sense. So as far as the balance goes, it just means that you're assuming a certain power level, uh, from a, from a player character. And as long as those bonuses are applied somewhere within there, then it should necessarily, you know, everybody can make suboptimal choices, of course, in character creation and beyond, but you know, all things being, you know, generally averaged out, as long as you've got a plus two and a plus one to one of the six ability scores, you should be fine. Absolutely. Now, some people might wonder why, why didn't we just say, Hey, your character has a plus two and a plus one and apply it however you want. Well, it's actually related to something you just said uh, about uh, about all of this being about just sort of the underlying power level, because not all of the race options have just a plus two or a plus one. For instance, if you pick Mountain Dwarf, you actually get two plus twos, and the Mountain Dwarf was balanced knowing it got two plus twos, because some of the options, like if you pick Tiefling, uh, you're instead of getting two plus twos, you're getting some spells that you know. You're getting you know some fire resistance, whereas the mountain dwarf was balanced with the knowing, hey, you're unusual in that you are getting two plus twos. Mm. And what the Tasha's Cauldron system lets you do as a mountain dwarf is take both of those plus twos and put them someplace else. Uh, and so that's why. We're letting you reassign rather than just sort of having a blanket statement of, you know, everyone just gets a plus two and a plus one because that could then end up resulting in some balance problems. There are even a few 
race options that don't have a plus one. They only have a plus two. And so if, you, if you're playing one of those options and using the Tasha's uh, customization option with it, well, then you just have a plus two to assign wherever you want. Uh, so this is, this is created to interact seamlessly with all of the options that currently exist in the game. I love that because it means that it's something that you can use or interact with if you have a player, uh, I'm thinking it's a dungeon master, if you have a player who's like, I really want to do this, this, this type of a, you know, let's say a, a really charismatic dwarf. Uh, and you're like, well, now, now you can because you'll have that plus two and then, you know, you can still have it be hardy or, or however you want to uh, make that happen. Now, ability scores aren't the only things that are a part of this origin system too, right? Correct. Uh, we also give your character the ability to uh, change which languages you get. Uh, for instance, if you pick dwarf, uh, you're told that you know common and dwarvish. Well, you might decide my dwarf grew up among elves. The system gives you explicit permission to say maybe your dwarf knows elvish instead of dwarvish. Uh, so you have some flexibility there. And then we also give you the ability to swap out any proficiencies that you might have gained. Uh, for instance, uh, you might have picked uh, one of the elf options and you were given proficiency in long swords, but you might decide, ah, my elf never learned how to use a long sword. And so we give you a table of different swap options where certain proficiencies can be swapped for different other types of proficiencies. Uh, and that includes, so if you know uh, a weapon proficiency, you might swap that for another weapon or for a tool. So you might decide that your elf, rather than having proficiency in the longsword, has proficiency with lutes because you were a mus musician. And when your, your uh, siblings were off learning you know, how to wield these, these archetypal elf weapons, you were, you were uh, at your music lessons. Uh, so that, again, that gives you some nice flexibility for customizing your character while retaining the ability for people who want it to just go with the archetype. I mean, that's, that's the other thing that I think it's important uh, to state is this doesn't take anything away. This is just adding some customization uh, ability for people who want it. If there's a group that has no interest with this, they just want to pick an option from the player's handbook and go, you can still do that. Uh, but again, if you, want, if you want to get under the hood with your character and make some of these simple adjustments, simple but potentially very impactful, we give you a very straightforward way to do that. That makes sense. Um, getting back to like the kind of history and, and philosophy behind this change, in listening to you, I started to think about, you know, in some ways, humans as a playable race in D&D were the versatility option, right? Like they were like, if you yes. wanted to play any type of archetype, you could do so by playing a human, right? And it's still in our fifth edition rules where you can assign those uh, or do the plus one all across the board, depending on, on how you wanted to go. Um, and that has basically been true since first edition, right? Where if humans could do anything, uh, you know, that elves and dwarves could do, uh, potentially even better. Uh, but like, if you wanted to do, and, it, and maybe this is what I'm asking is like, was the philosophy that like dwarves and elves were um, supposed to be less desirable, like because you had to play in this this archetype, you know, back in in in, in earlier editions, and then now we're finally sweeping away those vestiges. 
yeah, a big part of it in the old days is that elves and dwarves and some of the other playable options were very much the product of folklore. And in folklore, elves and dwarves are, I, I often refer to them as embodied metaphor. They were metaphors for different aspects of the human psyche. Uh, so, you know, elves were often associated with more elevated, lofty aspects of you know, the human psyche. You know, dwarves were often associated with the industriousness that, that some people manifest. And as so often happens in fairy tales, uh, these, these figures, you know, they're, they're given form because in fairy tales, you know, rather than metaphors just being sort of an airy thing that we talk about, you can meet metaphors, you know, you can meet a demon, which is embodied evil. You can meet an angel that is embodied good. Uh, you can meet a dwarf who is sort of in the embodiment of industriousness and, and, and hardiness. And that's really where that it originally came from. But then when you take that sort of storytelling element and you marry it with game design, it's like first edition D&D, in a way trying to protect the human's turf. Well, the human turf was about maximum flexibility. And with the dwarf and the elf uh, and, and the other options as well, it, it was much more about you have fewer options, but you might be very good at those options. So it, in a way, it was about specialization. I should also point out, uh, because it, it not, it's possible not everyone knows this, but in the earliest days of D&D, elf and dwarf were classes. Uh, because in the original version of the game, race was not even a thing. You just picked your character's class, which might be magic user, fighter, elf, uh, and and so later in advanced D&D, when elf and dwarf were turned into options as well as human that could then be paired with class options. I think, you know, in trying to find out like what, well, what in the game design wise, what is the turf of these different game objects? Well, the, the sort of the turf staked out for humans was flexibility. Uh, they could do a little bit of everything. Because also what many people might not know is way back then, there were also class limits. Humans could be any class that wasn't true for non-humans. Uh, their yeah. class options were also limited. But as the game has evolved over the last you know, half century, uh, we have increased with each edition the flexibility so that you know, now every race option can be every class option. Uh, races used to, in addition to having bonuses, also had penalties. Now all of the, the races in the player's handbook just have bonuses. But even that, the message to us, uh, has, has felt limiting to people because you know, the thinking in the past was, well, we'll just create upside. Well, it makes sense, though, in a game, when you want your character to be the best as something, that upside can, again, feel constraining. Mm. And and that's why we want to give people the ability uh, to, to change it. Also, something that people might not be aware of in terms of a philosophical change over time in D&D is in previous editions, especially uh, first, second, and third edition, the 
These characteristics associated with dwarves, elves, humans, and others, they were assumed to ripple through every member of that particular people. That is not an assumption in the design of 5th edition. Uh, and and we, we make that very clear in the 5th edition monster manual. If you go to the NPC appendix where you find commoner, you know, priest, cultist, archmage, we tell you right in the introductory material, those NPCs represent people of any race. We tell you it's completely optional to apply the racial traits that are in the player's handbook race write-ups to those NPCs. In other words, it is not our assumption and never has been in fifth edition that those bonuses that are in the player's handbook racial traits are true of every member of the race. They are specifically there just to reinforce the sort of traditional D&D archetypes for dwarf adventurers, elf adventurers, halfling adventurers, and so on. But as the game continues to evolve, we've seen that, and also as the different types of characters that people make proliferates and becomes wonderfully diverse as people create types of characters that many of us would never imagine that it's time for a bit more of those old assumptions to, if not pass away, at least be something that a person can set aside if it's not of interest for them and their character. And that, and it's, it's with that in mind that we created this system to, to basically really be true to our philosophy that we sometimes talk about when we, when we uh, give DMing advice. And that is whenever possible, say yes. And, and, and so this is a system about saying yes to players that yes, you can play the dwarf you want to play. You can play the elf you want to play. You can play the halfling you want to play. We even go a step further in Tasha's Cauldron. We have a sidebar where we allow you to create something we call a custom lineage, where if you want, when you create your character, you can decide not to pick a race at all. Mm. You can decide that your character comes from a lineage all their own, that you know, as a result perhaps of uh, your ancestry or maybe magic or some divine descent, you have a group of characteristics that none of the game's races actually uh, uh, represent. And so we give you a little toolkit for selecting your character's traits to represent this custom lineage. It's similar in some ways to the variant human uh, in the player's handbook, which was a little sort of toolkit for creating a custom character. Uh, But this goes just a little further in allowing you uh, to create the character you want, who might like may, maybe you decide your character, uh, you know, was born in the Feywild and just has some mysterious collection of hmm. abilities. Well, using using the custom lineage, you know, we let you do we let you, uh, you know, give yourself plus two to an ability score of your choice. Uh, pick a feat. Uh, you decide if you have dark vision or proficiency in a skill of your choice. And so you see with, with, with options like these, you can create pretty much any character you would want. That's, that's, 
the dream, right? I mean, that's what we say in, in a lot of our marketing materials is, is you get to play as, as your, whatever your fantasy tells you. And I think this system really does, you know, kind of complete that circle, uh, you know, finally. Um, it's interesting, uh, you know, again, listening to you talk about this is that it's been a long time since I've sat down at a D&D table and there was, you know, four humans and a dwarf. Uh, or you know, two elves and a halfling and three humans, right? Like it, it is because of all of the amazing you know, uh, racial and subclass options that are now available in fifth edition. Like, of course, people want to do a tabaxi and a tiefling and you know, a, uh, a something even more fanciful that the, the dungeon master is made up and brought to the table. And you know, I think embracing that at this point is uh, really important because what we've learned is that people want to express themselves in whatever speaks to them. And this now kind of sweeps away, like I said, all of the, all of the oldest uh, assumptions that we had about uh, how to play this game uh, and allows, you know, any, anybody to tinker and you know, fulfill the fantasy that they want to fulfill at the table. Absolutely. And, and th- that openness is very much a part of how we see uh, the future ahead of us in, in terms of, you know, where we're going with the game of really uh, encouraging this kind of flexibility so that people never feel uh, restricted in, in unpleasant or uninteresting ways. And I put it that way because some amount of restriction is actually interesting in games. All games are about making choices and yeah. making meaningful choices but we want the choices bet- to be between things that are all fun and interesting. Like a great example is making the choice between the classes, you know, where, where it's an open-ended field and you just you get to just choose whatever one sings to you. What we don't want is choice where hiding inside it is like a, is some kind of trap. And that's that's what the traditional ability score bonuses often feel like for some people of like, well, you know, I wanted to play a halfling, but, but not quite like this. And, and, and so that's, that, that is what, again, this option is meant to address is get that, get that, that bit of friction out of there so that you can still play the character you want to play. You know, you, again, you might want to play a dragonborn because you want to, you know, breathe fire and that's still there, but you want to tweak that ability score bonus. You want to change the languages, you know, yeah. uh, and, and just those, those little tweaks can make your character feel very different from another dragonborn. Yeah. Yeah. And I can even imagine this system being used, uh, you know, I'll give an example of a homebrew setting that I'm running right now where I restricted the race uh, choices to kind of the basics of, of gnome, elf, and dwarf. Mostly just because I was like, I have a specific story I want to tell. I don't want to necessarily have to figure out how did Aarakocra fit into this, or, you know, <laughs> and have that um, be taken away from, from me as a storyteller. Um, and I wanted to get kind of buy in from the things. And that's always an option. You can always do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that's interesting about this is that people can choose perhaps some of the 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 archetypes that they like about elves and dragonborn and play as a character that just has some of those uh, parts of it included within it, uh, whether they are 
you know, whatever you call the race doesn't necessarily matter. It could just be like, oh, this is the type of archetype that I want to play. And it's just a, another people, maybe even we, and then all of a sudden it becomes a jumping off point for creating, you know, a new fantasy people with uh, a player and a dungeon master collaborating together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I always love seeing because, you know, as soon as you realize we're telling stories in a multiverse where, you know, gods are always getting up to trouble uh, or doing wonderful things. And there's powerful magic and ancient creatures and wondrous locations. I think, you know, people would find there, it's like there's an infinite number of peoples out there. Uh, and, and also and also truly unique individuals uh, yeah. because of, you know, the work of magic and the gods and the different planes. Who says the person you meet is a part of uh, a people as we would understand it in our world? You know, they, they might be a one of a kind, you know, maybe, you know, like I think of like Wonder Woman who you know, <laughs> is crafted, but crafted with clay, you know, in some of the old comics, uh, you know, by the gods. Well, maybe that's true of your character. You know, yeah. Maybe there aren't any others. Uh, and you don't and, have to be restricted to a plus two to constitution for that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, that uh, all is very exciting. I'm sure there'll be more uh, questions that will arise uh, from from working with this origin system. But uh, there seems to be a trend with all of the topics we've been discussing around Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, which is that it really is giving all of the options to both players and Dungeon Masters. And I think that's something that um, everybody can get behind. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to seeing how groups use the many different options in the book in in ways that we never imagined uh and you know that that for me will be the the special joy in the next year or two is to see how people take this stuff and then run with it absolutely awesome well thank you jeremy uh if people want to interact with you on twitter how would they possibly do that i can be found on twitter at jeremy e crawford Excellent. And I can't wait for Tasha's College and everything to come out November 17th. Uh, it'll be in everyone's hands. There's an awesome alternate cover uh, available only through game stores. So make sure you make your pre-orders there and it will be very exciting. I can't wait. Thanks, Jeremy. Oh, I missed talking to Jeremy Crawford. He's got such a way with words. Yes, lots of good stuff in there. And yes, always a pleasure to talk to Jeremy and, and hear Jeremy speak in his calming, articulate, professorish ways. It's so great, isn't it? I wish more yeah. people spoke like that, including our leaders. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, uh, but- do a TED Talk. Please, please do it, Dave. Training. Uh, but let's uh, call up our guest uh, and we shall talk about their amazing book. Yay! Everyone, let us welcome Marika Nykamp to Dragon Talk. Welcome! Yay! Yay. <laughs> We're so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad I'm here too. Wait, yeah, no, yep. <laughs> Let's go with that. It's like I haven't been anywhere else lately. But yeah. Transporting you. Home, like at home. Yeah. But your office looks so nice. It's lovely. It, this, is, this is basically my dream come true office. Yeah. That's wonderful. So you, you are calling in from the Netherlands. I am. 
Yeah. Amazing. Across the pond. Oh, very yes. <laughs> what's uh, it been where, like over there? Yeah. yeah. What's what's been happening? I mean, well, we just found out that masks are probably good, so I feel like we're making progress. <laughs> you know, it's it's been an interesting year, right? Um, <laughs> I don't. We've we've been doing relatively okay, I guess, like in the sense that obviously the virus happens, but we managed to more or less get it under control this summer, and now we're back. So. Really? I'm not leaving the house until all of this is done. Yeah. Except to go to the dentist tomorrow because, you know, Ooh. yeah, dentist. still have to well, that's maintain, maintain your health. <laughs> yeah. You should write yeah. a, you should write a book around <laughs> the trip to the dentist trip now. To the de- f- 54 the minutes story. at the dentist. Yeah. Honestly, I one of the last times I went to the dentist was like l- relatively late in the afternoon, early evening and he just randomly like blasted opera music throughout <laughs> the building which i can tell you that feels like walking into a horror movie it right really there does. yeah it does i feel like there's something about like hearing blasting opera music but also like having your mouth open the whole time yeah it's yeah <laughs> like that particular combination is yes. like would not recommend. Yeah, it's like Phantom of the Opera. Basically, you're like, oh, where's yeah. the? He's wearing a mask. It's all. It's very. <laughs> <laughs> not that kind of mask, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would not. That's not a good mask for this situation. Uh, Only covers half not, your face. I was not amused. <laughs> <laughs> so, being a creative person, is it? Have you found um, more creativity in this time, or is it harder to to find your inspiration? It's. It's honestly a bit of both. Um, it's I found that that writing is a very good escape for the state of the world right now, yeah. um, which has been surprisingly helpful just to be able to like basically have fun in in story worlds where there isn't a virus and the world isn't burning and fascism isn't happening. So you know. <laughs> feels pretty okay to be writing books. <laughs> it's just weird that like we have to go to books to escape that when what you're describing yeah. actually sounds like something we would be watching or it's, reading and shaking our heads. Weird, at. Just going back to post-apocalyptic books right now and like dystopian fiction and occasionally reading that. Like most dystopian fiction definitely made humanity look a whole lot smarter than hmm. it is, which, yeah would not expect that we were having we would have discussions about is this virus actually happening yeah. everyone can see it is so that's <laughs> i'm definitely looking at, at those genres with a bit of a different eye these days mm. yeah but and a lot of people are are you know staying in and then obviously reading a lot more which has yeah. got to be uh yeah gratifying i i mean absolutely like because it, it it works that way for me. Like I I love escaping in fiction, and if I can do that to for other people, then that's I'd be happy to to offer them a bit of a a bit of an escape, a bit of a letdown from like daily life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Are you uh, are you participating participating in any D and D online sessions too? Technically, yes. <laughs> Mostly it means that my main group just comes together once a week and talks about 
everything and then like three hours in realizes that oh wait we should have been playing at some point <laughs> that sounds um, <laughs> still good yeah i mean it's yeah. definitely it's it's lovely to see my friends and it's lovely to hang out and occasionally i do get to play but it's i do i do notice that everyone is just struggling with like full heads and and overflowing thoughts and sometimes that makes it slightly harder to also focus on um creating worlds and stories together yeah 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 i hear that yeah so i mean i i really want to dig into your to your books because like i said i, I ordered all of them and i want <laughs> to know more and i want to hear about your creative process and all but there is a reason why we have you on dragon talk um mm -hmm. and that is because you are a D, D fan i am and when were you first introduced to dungeons and dragons I was about 15, 16, I think. So it's a while ago. Um, I initially started role play in, in terms of just like text-based role play in early days of the internet uh, when I was young. Um, maybe it should not have been on the internet quite that much, but you know, <laughs> things happen. Um, That's where you learn, right? It turned out yeah, exactly. Fine. It's super educational. It's, yeah, air quotes around <laughs> uh <-huh>. educational there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I was definitely into just like shared storytelling. And then at some point, a friend of mine uh, from choir, uh, was at a youth choir, um, she invited me to her D&D group. And I was like, I'm into this. I don't know anything about that. Um, sounds fun. This was definitely also in like at the time where... I live in middle of nowhere, the Netherlands. So the uh, the whole satanic panic happened slightly later here. Oh. Um, so it was definitely this this thing where people were still worried about fantasy books and role playing and all of that. So it it, it felt kind of edgy, cool to try, but also stories. Stories are yeah. great. So that part was easy. Um, so yeah, I joined her and basically never looked back. Um, very much locked out with a group with a uh, female DM, which was pretty rare at the time too. Yeah. Um, first game was I played a thief in second edition. Um, so I still get to tell new players about Thaco and, and horrify <laughs> them, which is great. Um, and your kit, whatever your kit was. Back in my day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, this is how backstabbing worked back in the day. <laughs> Sit around, kids. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah. No, that was... I Yeah, like I said, I just... That's how I rolled into it and didn't look back. And basically have been playing ever since. One one thing that always uh, I'd love to ask is, was that formative for you? Like, did you have that as your archetype always for, for characters going forward? Do you always like to play rogues or, or, or sneaky characters? Or is that... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do occasionally love playing other characters as well. I just recently played a warlock, which is great, because um, I just really like punk characters basically <laughs> um but yeah i given the chance i usually default to thieves rogues sneaky type characters with stabby things 
What is it? <laughs> what is it about that that uh, fascinates you? Do you think? I don't know. I yeah, I'm not entirely sure what that says about me. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. I've never like playing playing tanks never really appealed to me, and spellcasting is fun, but has its limitations i just I, I love the idea and i think it, it probably has to do too with the books i read growing up like i i love the idea of of thieves and thieves guilds and and just like sneaking around and gathering secrets as much as just like fighting and intrigue is fun so i think it's more that side of it too than 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 just the backstabbing mm. though on occasion like sneak attack is great so yeah. that helps. <laughs> you can yeah. save the day with that just as much as you can with a yeah. uh, you know a, a charge from the paladin. Absolutely, and it's it's also just a lot of fun, like annoying the more like straight laced characters in a group. Okay, yeah. so you're that I, now. I'm getting person. That's why you like to play the rogue. I, I always hear rogue yeah. players are like, oh, I just really like to annoy people, <laughs> the other players, and cause trouble. I'm like, <laughs> just, just, just poke them, and, and yes. see what happens. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's so Pick funny because I, I I'm thinking of a specific person that I played with who same loved always playing rogues, <laughs> and it wasn't even necessarily. I mean, they liked the rogues and the intrigue and the stuff that you're talking yeah. about, but. The, the memory that is cemented in my brain about them was the fact that it, it was always a snarky comment. It was always like a, you know, oh, well, I've got my own agenda, but you can do what you want, I guess. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, no. Very rogue. if you want to follow the main plot, whatever. <laughs> if you want to be a goody two-shoes, <laughs> yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, it makes it makes sense though. Hmm. What um what was your DM like? Uh, I'm interested to find out about uh you know as you mentioned uh, a, a, a woman as a DM is was rare in that uh, time frame. So uh, yeah. what kind of storytelling did they bring to the to the table that was of interest to you? Um, it was it was very much um, I feel like it was very much like traditional fantasy, but everyone at the group in the group was was geeky and nerdy in one way or another we had a very science focused group which was fun like everyone in i'd say like 80 percent of that group went on to study like sciencey things i'm a historian i don't know how science works (laughs) um but yeah so it was it was very she was very detail oriented um in in terms of just like creating the worlds and setting up stories um in ways that i still kind of admire i'm i'm that writer now too but not always at the end um so i that that in particular just really stuck by me and Obviously, like we had a very math focused group too, <laughs> which really really gelled with like early versions of d and d so it was interesting to see that part like there was this this very i like i said i I come from text based RPGs on the internet, and most of those were with other aspiring writers, so it was, those were very focused on the story and on making sure the story follow certain lines, follow certain tropes or like structures. Um, and this suddenly had that element of, of 
playing with dice and doing the math stuff and, and figuring out the nitty gritty of the world in, in ways that I wasn't quite familiar with through, through those text-based RPGs. So that was an element that she definitely brought to the table, but also something that I, I discovered in that particular group and, and grew really fond of. Um, not just because dice are great, um, but also, yeah. <laughs> Always got them. Always got them yep. nearby. I, I have a few fidget dice as well, just like oh. just to play with when I'm doing stuff and yeah. thinking about books or not thinking about anything at all. Um, they are they're like nice little fidgety toys. They yeah, really exactly. Are. Yeah. So yeah, that that was certainly an element that, and and just having that sense of knowing that she had a, a wider world that we got to explore um, really appealed to me and also made being a DM really appealing to me, um, uh, which is why I stumbled into that quite quickly. <laughs> really? So quite quickly after learning how to play D&D, yes. you took on the role of, of Dungeon Master? Yes. Yep. Why do you say stumbled? What happened? I mean... <laughs> Um, mostly because it took me a while to figure out how to handle that well. Um, and, and like I said, I, I, I came into a group that already existed with players who'd already spent time with each other mm. and who had a sort of chemistry going and I had a lot of fun with them. Um, but when you go from, from this, this sort of familiarity to trying to create a new group and trying to sort of yeah. mimic that, um, it definitely feels awkward at times and it takes a little while to get used to. So it that it did for me too. Um, but I I really just fell in love with it when I uh, when I studied abroad a couple of years years later and found a group there to play with and, and introduced them to, to the game. And I think that was for me the main part where it that was the first group that really felt like my group and, mm. and where it felt like creating a story was almost a kind of gift to them as well as just playing the game itself. Yeah, which is probably, I'm going to guess, does that is that how it feels when you write a book? Like you have given this gift to your readers. You've created the story in this world for them to enjoy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's certainly more direct when you're DMing. Um, mm mm-hmm. When I'm writing, I don't necessarily have like specific readers in mind that I'm writing for. Right. Um, that's true. So when you're I'm not thinking I'm, of Shelley when you're writing, <laughs> you will now. Oh, I, now I that you know, now. I'm such a fan. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Like every book going forward, I'm, I'm thinking of Shelley. I can't first. wait to see them dedicated to me once yes. again. This book is dedicated to Shelley, <laughs> and again, yep. <laughs> five hundred and forty-six. Yeah, I mean, still to Shelley. I'm. I am your muse now. <laughs> <laughs> well, next time I have writer's book, I'll know where to find you. Call me. Yeah. Call me. It'll probably be, you okay. know, yep. excellent. <laughs> I can help. I can help with that. We, I mean, we have talked to a I couple of authors in the past too, and they, that we it does always seem to think that like they love dungeon mastering, and then it just feels like oh, the, a lot of the world building and the the storytelling that goes into creating a good D and D session. You know, a lot of those are similar. They're obviously not the same, yeah. but they're similar when you're when you're crafting a book or a scene in a book. Absolutely. Though technically, like in, in most situations, my characters do what I want them to do slightly more often than my players. 
Slightly. <laughs> Slightly. Yes. Yeah. You have a little more control over them, I guess. None of them have ever gone back and woken up a dragon, and one of my players has definitely done that. Woken up the dragon? Yes. Yes. After sneaking past it and going oh. back. I don't know. Was, was I it still a rogue? Was it possibly a, the rogue that decided just to cause a little trouble and just see what would happen? What, what do you mean, rogues <laughs> causing trouble? Rogues <laughs> never <laughs> cause trouble. <laughs> It was a burglar, clearly. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Not a rogue at all. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, So yeah, what what was what was the type of stories that you told uh, in the first sessions of you dungeon mastering? Were they were they generic fantasy? Did they lean more towards intrigue or anything like that? Definitely generic fantasy. Mm. Um, Very much both the dungeons and the dragons. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all you need. That's all you need. I know, right? What else is there? Yeah. Um, yeah. So no, those are very much generic, like this this medieval esque type world. Um, though usually slightly more actually medieval or actually fantasy, because at that point I had been studying medieval history for a while. So you know, <laughs> professional defamation, I guess that sneaks in. <laughs> um, so yeah. It took a while to get to a point where the world, the world, and and the stories and the intrigue and the plots felt more like my own, um, because experience is good. And Gotta build up in hindsight, it's pretty okay that they weren't back then. But you know, <laughs> being your own worst critic and all that—that um, definitely is a thing that holds true both for writing and DMing. <laughs> that is very true. Uh, yes. But I think what DMing does, at least for me, was the show must go on to a certain extent. Yeah. Like you had a deadline, you had a session that was coming up, and so you couldn't just be like, "Well, I'll get to writing that paragraph later," and then never do yeah. it. You're like, "Well, you needed to, and you needed to to have these prompts from your from your players that you know yeah. made you have to basically write in your head and improvise." And that, to me, has loosened any rhyme of writer's block or anything that I've ever had. You know, having having those improv skills uh, must help for that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely does. Weirdly also helps for promoting books. Because it made <laughs> me so much more comfortable with like public speaking. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a, a, the bane of a lot of, of authors' lives is like, oh, I have to actually like, talk to people now about this work. And you just want to yes. write. <laughs> what do you mean? I can't just stare at my computer and, <laughs> and exist in words and nothing else. Sure, I just wrote a book that was like how to meet people and sway. Uh, I, don't I don't know how to do that, that myself. Nope. <laughs> it's all research, man. It's all research. This, by the way, is 100% why I have never and will never play a bard. Oh. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> on that. Yeah. Okay. I will improvise to my heart's like <laughs> content and and I I'm happy to stab or spell sling or whatever. Um but a charisma man. Charisma's hard. <laughs> it is hard. It's hard to role play that for sure. Unless yeah. you, you have that uh, in your back yeah. pocket, you know. But so many people we do. We just talked to critical bard here and he was like, you know, you very clearly, oh yeah, you are a bard in real life yeah. as well as uh, around the table. Absolutely, yes. Um, so your medieval history, let's talk a little bit about that because that's fascinating for me. I'm playing a lot of Crusader Kings 3 right now, so I'm certainly <laughs> in that realm of, of medieval fantasy and it obviously informs a lot of uh, 
you know, the kind of generic fantasy that we, we've been talking about. So what led you to, to wanting to learn more about it? Was, was Dungeons and Dragons an inspiration? It was definitely a part of it. Yeah. Like reading fantasy, um, playing D and D, all of that basically informed my wanting to like major in medieval history to the horror of some of my, some of my teachers, but (laughs) (laughs) it's just, I, the thing is too, I've always been fascinated by stories. And I think that's, that what, that's, why I'm a writer, but also why D&D appeals to me so incredibly much. Like, I I love how stories kind of inform who we are as people. I love that we use storytelling as a way to understand what it means to be human. And storytelling in medieval times is is particularly fascinating because it, it exists in I mean, my focus has always been medieval Europe. Um, so I'm I'm using medieval times as a as a bit of an easy shortcut, which I shouldn't do because other countries exist and we're doing <laughs> far more interesting things in some cases yeah. than Europe. Um, yeah, very true. But it, there's this, this really interesting era of, of um, human history where people in Europe sort of re- realize that rediscovered that the rest of the world exists and that there are a huge part of the worlds that they're not aware of yet um basically the here be dragons the idea of here be here be dragons like this is this is a part of the world that we don't know anything about and we'll sort of just assume that strange things happen here even though no one actually believed the dragons part hmm. but it's just this this idea of interacting with other ways of being interacting with the unknown um, interacting with other cultures that just endlessly fascinates me and i think is is honestly still super relevant for today too yeah and it informs um, fairy tales too yeah, like a lot absolutely. of the, a lot of those those ideas of you know elves and and you know seven dwarves and all that stuff really was about encountering cultures that yeah. were that were different than the ones that were yeah. uh, in Europe at the time. Yeah. And the interesting thing too is that it's one of the reasons why I'm, I feel so strongly about good representation in fantasy too, is is just the knowledge that this, this whole generic idea of fantasy was never really historical. Mm. Like obviously it wasn't because magic and dragons, but <laughs> also this idea of like cis, straight, white, male-dominated Europe never really existed. Like, people of color existed in Europe throughout history. (laughs) Queer people have existed in Europe throughout history. Certainly in medieval history, there are really cool examples of that. Um, So it it was also just this really interesting way of of figuring out, like, who we are now is is constantly reflected to us by history. And... um, I think that's I think that's awesome. Yeah, and you're a very big proponent of diversity in books as well. You yes. are. A, <laughs> we need diverse books. Um, I and you were were you the founder or you're the the I I was on the founding board. Yeah, uh, I was one of the the first like the first panel we did. Um, First time sort of the hashtag formed into an organization. I was part of 
that along with many, many amazing writers and uh, creators. Um, for, I was definitely which, not the for founder. For which organization? What was this? Uh, we need diverse books. Ah. And diversi- um, diversify. Diversify YA was was, um, a website I created um, and that was also how I kind of rolled into uh, We Need Diverse Books. But that was definitely the brainchild of Ellen O and and many others. And I had the great honor to serve on the founding board and be able to, to give back a bit. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's obviously important work for any age, but especially yeah. for that young adult audience that, you know, when they're, they're st- first starting to discover who they are and question who they are and, you know, is this, is this okay? Is this normal? And then to see themselves represented in the books that they're reading, that's huge. I mean, I remember yeah, growing up, like the books that, that I remember reading were like, or other kids reading were like The Hobbit or Sweet Valley High about like two blonde California twin girls and like they're you know they're cool car and they're cool boyfriends you're talking about the hobbit right yes (laughs) i don't mean to like spoil the hobbit for anyone who hasn't read it but But jessica and todd do break up at the end sorry spoiler (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean like and it is and there there is still you know a ways to go i know but it's it's wonderful that that you have been involved in in this really important initiative yeah, I mean it it's super personal for me too. Like I I'm non-binary. Um did not have a word for that until yeah. just a couple of years ago because I did not know that that was even a possibility. I just know I just knew that I didn't feel comfortable in my skin and and didn't really like connect to the word woman or anything like that. Um and it was it was through the, the literary community too and seeing other like public non-binary people that I finally had this this realization of hey that's that's me that's who I am that's something that I can explore and like you said I think that's so important for teens to to have at at a young age um in in YA books honestly even earlier than that too because yes. yeah so many, so many teens know who they are early on, and it's obviously not just like gender identity and orientation, sexual orientation, or romantic orientation. It's also about making sure that characters of color are main characters in books, that readers of color see themselves reflected, that disabled readers see themselves reflected, and, and that non-marginalized readers see other people reflected as well, and see that they can be heroes in stories and that they can deserve to be in the limelight um, because that's that's as important as having that mirror is is having uh, books as a, as a means to form empathy towards others yeah uh, that's what I always think um, Dungeons and Dragons does very well almost as a, uh, a side effect of 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 its main stated goals of having a great storytelling, you know, framework for it to hang out with your friends, but it also gives this uh, safe place to, you know, play roles that are uh, of different genders, of different sexual orientations, and yeah. uh, do so under the guise of adventuring. But you know, we've talked to a few uh, individuals who have said that you know they 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 finally learned that part about themselves through 
role play through Dungeons and Dragons and would not have made the leaps that they had made uh, to understand what they what they were feeling um, without those safe spaces. I mean that that's honestly a big part for me too. Like I I found myself found myself drawn to male characters more often than not because I had the opportunity to play and sort of figure out ways of of interacting with gender that I couldn't in in real life uh, to that degree. So it was definitely a major part for me too in just figuring out like hey um, you you don't have to be restricted to to what people expect of you. Yeah, you know, I was reading an interview that you had done, and I, I'm going to paraphrase it, but the, somebody had asked about, you, you have developed characters in your stories, obviously, that are um, non-binary or queer, um, people of color, but, and they asked about, they, they asked you something, I, I wish I could remember, because this is not going to be as good, but asked you about creating those characters and why they were important, and I think you you had responded with something like nobody ever asked me why Claire is straight and white oh. and you know like and that is just that is a choice too like that is just as important a choice as why we're putting these other characters in the books but nobody ever which just shows that there was is that assumption that the main character you know is white yeah. and straight and and um, abled so it's yeah, yeah which I I thought that response was really. That, that just said a lot about, you know, where we are in our portrayal of, of other characters. Yeah, no, there is definitely just this assumption that, that white, cis, hetero, able people are, are sort of a default that everyone should yeah. be able to connect to. And I think to a degree, too, um, most of us have learned to connect to those characters because we have to. And obviously, like, I, when I look at fiction, I see myself reflected often enough i'm i'm super white like i'm dutch i nearly fluorescent at times um <laughs> that's funny i, I, don't I just have spoke to, to a look. dutch person this morning and they said that exact same thing <laughs> really <laughs> yes it seems to be like a default way to to express their uh their whiteness. <laughs> That's interesting, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, I, I don't have to. I don't have to look forward to seeing myself re- represented in fiction. I do have to look forward to seeing my experiences represented in fiction, and I think that that's. Um, it's also one of the reasons why it took me a while to get to a point where I figured it was okay to write a non-binary main character. It was okay to write a, a physically disabled main character or an autistic main character because I, if even I had never assumed that characters like me could be the heroes of stories in that sense. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I, I like that you threw that question back at the reporter in a certain way where you're like... I'm, I you know, might have made it sound more antagonistic than uh, it was, but well, like, <laughs> like it was very I polite. Mean. But, I, I just, but it, it's something that's important too because, you know, I, I, in talking to like Tanya DePass, for example, from, uh, and she, she created the I Need Diverse Games, uh, I, I think in, in homage to, to what you and the organizations that you were involved with had created... Um, but she's often expressed that to me where it, it's, uh, we get, we, you know, all the questions I get are about diversity uh, and not about, you know, uh, the, the storytelling choices or, you know, the books and the things that are going on. And so, you know, while it's important to have those conversations and to be upfront about them and how important they are, I think there's also some fatigue uh, yeah. 
with having to be like, that's the only question that's that's important right now. What about the book? Do you want to talk about the book and yeah. how cool it is? Speaking of which, I we should talk that, about the book and how that, cool it is. <laughs> well, absolutely, no, but that that is that is certainly true, and I think that that's um, honestly a call to action too for um, like straight cis white people to take that up and have those conversations among themselves as well mm. or more um because obviously definitely don't talk over marginalized people but also make sure that marginalization isn't just the only thing that we talk about um, because it definitely does get exhausting at times and it, it it's a part of me and i will not deny that it's it, like who i am and it informs me but it doesn't that isn't everything nor should it be well said yeah yeah very well um and so what's cool about uh your your book uh is that it is a group of uh role players or are they are they playing a game that's D &D? uh is it, is it explicitly called out as D, &D or is it uh nope okay <laughs> Um, it's a, it's yeah, a home stand home. down, lawyer. Stand down. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right to mention it. Like, it's not. It's fine. Uh, I'm the lawyer here, so no. <laughs> uh, but no, it's a homebrew system too. Uh, yeah. So what? Uh, I mean, I, I know what the elevator pitch is, but how would you describe to uh, you know uh, D and D listeners right now uh, as to why it's exciting to potentially pick this up? So uh, Even If We Break is about a group of five teens who um, have come together, formed their friendship through an RPG uh, game. And they've been together for the best part of three years, uh, except last couple of months there have been some cracks and, and some things below the surface. But this is kind of the last weekend that they're hanging out uh, before some of them are going off to college, doing other things. So they have one last weekend to play their game and just connect and be together. So they go to a cabin in the woods, which is, you know, always a good idea. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely safe. No issues at all. No and monsters. they live happily ever after. Um, <laughs> the end. Spoiler. And they all get married together. Exactly. Um, so no, that doesn't happen. They go to a cabin in the woods and things go haywire from there and the game turns quite deadly. Is it is it a supernatural thriller or more of a uh, personal thriller? It, it, it's more a personal thriller. It's honestly as much to a story about friendship and like the good friendships we have, but also the toxic friendships and, mm. and how they inform us and affect us. Um, and about secrets. All the characters have secrets and that's sort of what starts breaking them up. Mm so than any other supernatural effects or um i like sure the, the 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 characters do refer to like ghost stories about the cabin because if you go to a cabin in the woods in the middle of nowhere there have to be ghost stories right um if only to just like tease each other a bit and and see who who scares first um but no it's it's the secrets they keep from each other uh that's will start to break them up in the book. Yeah. And the Good cover, text. the cover is so cover. I have it here, shall I? Yeah. Yes, look at, please. Look at look at the super creepy masks. Yeah. 
I do not have this cover face out anywhere in my house because it terrifies me. Because it creeps you out? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to have to probably remove that cover when the book comes. That's reasonable. I I love it. I love that it does what it needs to do. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely stands out. Also, it's super scary. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I I am interested with the playing with friendship, you know, idea because yeah. you know, so many of the uh, guests that we've had on Dragon Talk before have talked about how the friendships they form around the table playing D anD D, you know, are you know me- sometimes the most meaningful relationships in their lives. Uh, they last Absolutely. for decades, um, and so having that be put to the test uh, in in a, in a novel form that sounds really exciting to me because you know. It, I think a lot of people who are listening here will realize like, oh yeah, like I, I, what would happen if something like this happened to my group, you know, and you can kind of imagine it. Yeah, honestly, that particular what if was basically what sparked the book too. Like for me too, my, my current, my current group is, they're some of my closest friends, um, both of my current groups actually. And that friendship means a lot to me. Um, like the shared experiences at the table, but also like outside of the game, um, that that has meant a whole lot to me um, at, at various points throughout the last couple of years. And what what basically sparked the book was the idea of like, what if you have a close knit friendship like that, and something goes wrong? Mm-hmm. If like the friction appears between some of the characters like one character expects another character to do something and and they don't do it um outside situation influences the friendship um decisions characters make influence other care what what happens if if all of that starts to show cracks and tears and what happens if someone takes that and tries to break it open completely Mm. and they're all wearing masks (laughs) <laughs> I mean, just like all of us, yeah. Aren't we all? It's, any different. Yeah. <laughs> it's really no different. Is exactly. like, is your creative process for when you start thinking about a book and um, developing that world and that story and those characters similar to how you would approach a new D and D campaign as the dungeon master? Is there any parallels in those processes? It's, it's absolutely similar. Um, in a sense that, especially when I start a new campaign, I, I tend to go all out on, on like building worlds and creating characters and plotting out various storylines that, that characters may follow through on, uh, players may follow through on. Um, I love the idea of just creating and, 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 and building this kind of sandbox for, for my players to play in. Um, and to some extent, that's that's certainly true for books as well. Like I love, I love all the prep work of writing, um, building those characters, creating the setting. Um, in this case, just figuring out what the cabin looks like as a sort of map, almost. Um, oh yeah, that's got, especially for the oh, kind of plot yeah. that you're describing. You know, the 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 layout is you know paramount of importance. It's super helpful to have that. To have a good idea of what that looks like, um, and and yeah, <laughs> I like we for the, for a pre order giveaway, a friend of mine designs cabin layouts, and it was so much fun. <laughs> what? It was so much fun. Um, 
So I I do actually still have a few of those left. So if any if any listeners want one, they should just email me and I'll send them. Yeah, oh, um, and you can set your own uh, your own murder murder mystery yeah. happening in yeah. the cabin. Yeah, that's yeah, so exactly. Cool. Um, so yeah, but I think beyond that, books are definitely far more involved in the sense that when I create my games, I I usually create plot hooks and yeah. ideas, and beyond that, at this point, mostly improvise during the sessions themselves like i generally have a good idea of what my characters what my players will do um except in all those cases when they don't do what i expect yeah except for the one that wakes up the dragon yeah exactly exactly. (laughs) wasn't anticipating that you know honestly who could have foreseen that I probably choices. should have because I know the player. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were playing a rogue, right? So. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that's interesting because so, you also have yeah. four, you know, or five, or however many players like has, as co-collaborators, right? So you you yeah. can you can write those hooks, and you just will be like, all right, well, they're gonna fill in the blanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and obviously for for the books that isn't the case. Yeah. Um, much though, it's I'd like you. that to happen. Um, it's all me. Yeah, so it, it it's far more involved in terms of actual prep, actual story prep. It's a lot of writing synopsis and having spreadsheets of plot elements and, and time that passes in the book. It's very, very well planned um, to a point of slight obsession occasionally. <laughs> That's good. It works for you. Yeah. A lot of what... Um... I've seen you praised for is your characters and how compelling they are and how well-rounded they are. And I, it made me wonder if perhaps all of those years of D&D and creating characters, has, has, any of, has that helped with your creating characters for your, your book world or different? Probably, yeah. <laughs> um, it, I've, I've certainly written books where I just, use like character sheets as a sort of starting point just to get a sense of what the characters uh yeah it's super helpful but it's mainly in in learning to ask questions about characters and and what makes them tick and like what their dreams are what their fears are what their hopes for themselves or their friends or like the world at large are um and and those are the elements that make me enjoy role-playing characters but also make me enjoy writing characters and and for me those two are very closely related yeah i can see that that's interesting yeah so uh the name of the book is even if we break and it is out now it is i can't wait uh to to jump in and read that and maybe use it as inspiration for for a thriller, I think it's kind of a, a, a thing that's not really shown in D&D often, right? Like, you know, you're, as you mentioned, it's all about, you know, slaying the dragon and getting the treasure and things like that. But it's funny how hearing you describe it, it is very similar to many of the themes that Chris Perkins added to Icewind Dale, Rhyme oh, of the yeah. Frostmaiden. Uh, you know, the secrecy, this uh, feeling of paranoia and, and things like that. So uh, good synergy with, uh, with Mr. Perkins there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great minds, great minds. <laughs> yep, definitely intended. Yeah, right. Just, yep. just like the mask thing was intended, you know, when right. most of the world is Absolutely. wearing masks. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I figured let's let's just make sure that there's a good reason for people to wear. No, <laughs> nope. 
But it is, uh, I think, going to be interesting for people to pick up uh, your book and think about it from from that angle of like inspiration for how to run uh, a campaign that is uh, a little bit different, you know, than the than than the standard fantasy. Um, are you? Uh, yeah, does that make sense to you? Do you think people will will get some of those, you know? Oh, absolutely. I, I I certainly hope so. Um, there are elements in the book too. Um, aside from just like the the straight thriller story, um, I've, we've also included like elements of the game that they're playing. Mm. Um, oh, nice. Just to get a sense of what would it look like in a fantasy setting, and also because I love fantasy, so it was fun to sort of play with that. Um, so yeah, I, I certainly hope that that readers will take this as um, inspiration for their own murder mysteries, thrillers. Uh, I I love I love playing intrigue heavy, intrigue laden stories. So I would love to see more of those. Yeah, it's a hard and thing to pull off. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I also wrote a murder mystery RPG to go with the book because I'm that person. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's it's just like a two page. Um, like if if the book inspires you to do something yourself, this is a way to go about it. So with a few hints and, and tricks, and this is how to build a thriller setting and and like a murder mystery. It was a lot of fun. I. I amuse myself a lot. <laughs> Honestly, I just did it because I wanted it, wanted to do it, and then we also used that for pre pre order giveaways. And, no way! Um, That's a great idea. Yeah. So what? Yeah, uh, I mean, so practically, what 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 is one good piece of advice people could take away from from wanting to run a more intrigue heavy campaign? Because, like I said, I think it is not necessarily what people go to right away when they think of D&D, but it's a, it's a wonderful space to be in, especially, again, as we're talking about yeah. Rhyme of the Frostmaiden and even um, Curse of Strahd revamped coming out too, like playing with some of those yes. ideas uh, are, are, are going to be instrumental for Dungeon Master. So yeah, what's a, what's a good piece of advice on how to run that? I'd say in terms of how to prep for one is make sure you have a good understanding of motivation of, of your characters. Um, whether that's behind the scenes or out in the open, um, it, it really helps to know what the end game is so you can get to that point. And even even if it goes through like various different um, sidesteps and, and other kinds of, uh, you know, adventures your players set you on. Um, <laughs> it really helps to know what the ultimate end game is. And, and once you have that, you can also translate that to clues you need to seed into a story. Um, and generally, I'd say there's, there isn't such a thing as too many clues. There is definitely such a thing oh. as too obvious clues. Yeah. Um, be careful with those. But the more subtle ones, um, it you you can't go wrong with adding quite a few of those because your players will will certainly miss some they'll misinterpret others um and there's nothing more fun than giving your players a mystery and having them figure it out plot twists are amazing and i i love plot twists and i love surprising people but there's also that element of seeing players take all the various clues and put them together and come close to or even figure out what the end game is. That is so super gratifying. And for me, it just makes playing fun because it isn't. It, it, 
I don't want my tables to feel like it's me versus the players. It's something that we create together. So if if they figure it out, all the more like more power to them. That's that's what I would hope they do. Yeah, that's you know we often think about dungeon masters as being adversaries or trying to like pull the wool over the eyes of players, but honestly they just they they want to succeed and you want to have them succeed uh in a way that feels satisfying and doing so by figuring out things from clues you know similar to um solving a puzzle like those are great feelings that you want to give to your players as much as you can absolutely sweet well it's funny the the way you described uh setting up the mystery uh because i (laughs) I mentioned this a couple of times now, and so I feel like I'm I'm plugging myself. But I'm writing a short story now that's going to end up uh, in, in Dragon Plus that is a murder mystery. And I I did the exact opposite. I don't <laughs> know what is happening at the end. <laughs> and I was trying to do a lazy DM kind of thing of it, where like I have these characters <laughs> and I'm going to introduce them and like improvise them, uh, and then I'll figure it out at the end. And then if I need to add clues, I'll add them later. Once I kind yeah, of have a good solution, go back and that's what I was thinking. Figure out what's yeah. happening. I don't know if that's going to work or not, but it, it's. <laughs> I basically took your advice and did the opposite. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that is also incredibly legitimate because I know many authors who do the exact same thing. Really, and who don't know what their story is going to be like while they're writing it, and that would drive me up a wall. I just, I need to have all the pieces and all like the loose threads so I can use them to weave a story together. And yeah, I'm, I'm massively impressed by people who managed to do that and just like go along for the ride and see what happens. Your editor must love you if you have that much detail up front. Like there, I no, like... hope so. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They totally they know you. like there's an ending at least. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I usually have edit- editors who, who are also quite, oriented so it's it's fun to just like play off each other and figure out together where the story needs to go um and and that's honestly look writing essentially is teamwork even though it doesn't always look like that or feel like that but yeah it's fun to to go on that journey together and then figure it out just like D. yeah yep it takes a party it takes a party and a village of goblins to destroy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, very exciting. Exactly. I can't wait uh, for more people to get into even if we break. Um, and like I said, with, with this you know, current meta of what we're talking about for D&D adventures, it's good research. So I hope more people do that. Yep. I would love that. Um, if I people want to... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Charlie. Oh, yeah. I think we're on the same page. But I know... Um, I know there's a lot of things you're working on that you cannot talk to us about, but <laughs> there's a lot of things that you have already worked on that are even one that's coming out this week. It sounds like the the Goosebump, yeah. Goosebumps Goosebumps comic. I know. Let's yep. get that. My son loves Goosebumps. I have Goosebumps oh, right now. So fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I I got to write a Goosebumps miniseries comic ah, um, in Fever Swamp. So werewolves werewolves are great um so yeah that's 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 coming out now um first issue just came out and it'll come out over the next couple of months um so yeah it's 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 been a 
busy year. I also had a graphic novel come out earlier this year. Oh, so nice. it's all like, wow, all of this has happened during like lockdown and pandemic. The novel came out, the graphic novel came out in March. So it's been, it honestly feels like five years ago at this yeah, point. Seriously. Yeah, seriously. March. Remember that? Wow. Yeah, vaguely, yeah, we... vaguely. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I also got to write uh, Barbara Gordon as Oracle. Uh, for a uh, DC YA graphic novel. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. It's yeah. been a good year for books for me. Yeah. Um, it's been an interesting year on literally every other <laughs> uh, level. Right. But yeah, it's been, I've been I'm, I'm really proud of these books. And readers too. Be. Like, I feel like they're, I mean, I, I fell in love with reading more uh, in with, with the amount of downtime that I have. I think Shelly said, yeah. you me said too. too. Yeah. So it is. Yeah. It is the time. Absolutely. I, I would hope, though, that readers, especially now, um, if they can order your books from indie bookstores, please, yes. and your local comic stores and your friendly local game stores, please support them because they're all go going through a really hard time. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I can get behind that. Uh, so, mm -hmm. yeah, order now. Do it. Get them. Get all Done. my books. Done. Did it. <laughs> be, like me. be like me. Be like me. Yes. Order. Be All like Shelly. <laughs> I would say, Greg, that you can borrow them, but that doesn't really help. No, we gotta buy them, more books. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't just also borrow. be like Shelly. Just get all of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I am your right. muse. Every single one, and I'll and I'll put it on my shelf. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time uh, to be with us, Marika. It was very fun talking to you. So late at night too. Now you can. Go to bed. Sleep. Thank you so much for having me, though. This was really fun. This was fun. Thank you so much. So Can, good to talk to you. And now, and that beer that you were just drinking, now I want to go have one. Mm. <laughs> mm. Too soon? Mm -hmm. Too, no, I mean, it's afternoon or it's five somewhere. I don't know. Both of those phrases apply here. It's, a, it's 11 p.m. somewhere. I was about to say, it's 11 p.m. here. So I feel like that counts. <laughs> I well, agree. we have to, you know, uh, uh, be sympathetic to to our guests exactly. at all times. We want so to make our guests not? feel comfortable. <laughs> yeah. I feel like on that average, means... it's 5 p.m. between all of us, right? Ah, that's, that's how time goes. There you go. It's a good way to think about it. Um, Perfect. <laughs> awesome. Very well, thank cool. you so much. Uh, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Yeah, thank Can't you. Yay. Oh, wait. Did we talk about where people can... We know about your upcoming work, but where can oh. people find you? Oh, right. Um, Twitter. <laughs> a lot, honestly. Too much doom scrolling uh, happening on Twitter? Too much, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Um, I'm, uh, my handle is M-A-R-I-E-K-E-Y-N because I have a very Dutch name. I'm sorry for all the extra letters. Um, <laughs> I know it's hard, and you can you can find me on my website as well, which is literally just myname.com. Um, but go through my Twitter because that's probably easier than my spelling. All of it. All right, <laughs> easy enough. I love it. It'll be in the show notes, of course, uh, as well as displayed on our video uh, if you're watching this on YouTube. So we can find you. <laughs> You will be. You will be found. I'm gonna order the goosebumps. I'm gonna order uh, the graphic novels. We're all ready to go. Excellent. Good life choices. <laughs> <laughs> we all know. What a wonderful uh, person. What a wonderful interview. I feel like I, I am inspired. 
Yeah, as always. That, that was wonderful. I I love that. Um, and I really love writers. I do too. I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go right now. Are you Are you inspired to write your short story? Well, mostly just to get it done. Uh, <laughs> that's always the inspiration when you get close to. Uh, but how do you know when it's done when you don't know how it ends? Well, I know that it has to end, and so I'll get <laughs> to a point where I'll make the decision. Uh, and uh, yeah, actually, I think my indecision of of what is going to happen at the end of this story is going to be part of the the, the final speech of the, of the main character. So that nice. is going to be fun. Well, can't wait to read that in a future Dragon Plus issue. Do you know which issue it's going? I believe it will be in the October issue. As in, like the month we're in right now. Exactly. Yes. Oh, you better get so that's cracking. why I need to finish. <laughs> that's okay. deadline time. Exactly. All uh, right. But definitely pick up uh, some of the fun stuff uh, that uh, Marika Nykamp is writing because um, it sounds so fun. Yes, and we didn't even uh, talk about the the rest of their books, but they all sound amazing, and mm-hmm. um, I think yeah, I'm excited. Excited to get my book package. Medieval fantasy plus all of the RPG thrillers. I don't know why I sang that. Maybe I the, am a bard. I don't maybe know. you are. Maybe. Maybe. Come on. I think we know the answer to that. Well, maybe I'm Hall and or Oats. I don't know about that. You're hauling oats is what you're doing. I'm, like in a bag? Yeah. It's tough work. Somebody's got to do it. Probably feels like that. All the oats in the world are on your shoulders. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> Uh, if you want to learn more about the oats that I'm carrying, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Greg Tito. Uh, and then on Instagram at Greg underscore Tito. Oh, the fancy Tito. The fancy Tito. Yes. Like, you can um, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Shelly Moo. Moo. Shelly Moo. Moo. Or Shelly Moo. Oh, we really are uh, getting into the horror. <laughs> it's tis the season to bring tis back the, the Momo. Um, so if you want to find out about how to play D&D or if you just want to learn more about uh, Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden or all of the fun products we were mentioning, including Course of Strahd and Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, not to mention the Dungeon Master Screen Wilderness Kit, which we briefly mentioned. There's so many fun things going on. Go to DungeonsAndDragons.com and you will get all the information all about that and it will make you happy. It will. We and know it will. Scared, maybe also. A little creeped out. But in a good way. In a storytelling fun way. In the get your adrenaline going way. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and of course, Dragon Plus is available on your Android or iOS phone. And if you don't want to install the app to get that bi monthly content, you can also. Look at it and read it and consume it at dragonmag.com. Yes. New issue make it very coming out easy. this week. Uh, oh, in the cover go. for uh, the next issue, I got a little preview. Ooh. It's awesome. So, I do like I, the covers. They always I love uh, their covers. Happy. Yeah. yeah. I'm particularly too. fond of this one. Can't wait. Yeah. Um, but thank you to Ryan Marth and Lisa Carr at Siren Sound for putting together Dragon Talk. Uh, Yay! It was International Podcast Day uh, last week, and we shared 
what a great journey it's been uh, with Dragon Talk. And uh, it's a big part of the reason why is because of Ryan and Lisa and what they do. So thank you yes. to both of you. Uh, you do good stuff. And uh, on Love the you, wizard man. side, Pelham and Ryan. No. Pelham and Sean Mayowski, thank you for <laughs> putting all that stuff together. Uh, for the videos, I should probably start uh, stop shouting them out since they're not actually doing that anymore. But hey, <laughs> you do good stuff anyway, guys. Just like just a shout out. Yeah, shout out to them yeah. for being awesome people. Yeah, all around. If you would love to get the word out about uh, Dragon Talk and the wonderful hobby that D and D is, we would love that. The best yeah. way to do that is to write a review or share the Dragon Talk podcast on your, the platforms that it is on, including Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or just oh in God. the more generic podcast feeds. Uh, the more you write and the more reviews you get out there, um, it just increases the visibility for making more people We're discover everywhere. what's happening with Dragon Talk, which I think is a good idea. You can't get rid of us. You can't. We're everywhere. I can. No, you can't. Speaking can of someone you can't get rid of, Drunky Two Shoes. Yeah, I'm uh, ready. She was in an embrace for a very <laughs> muscular, long-haired sailor boy uh, had jumped in to save you from drowning as you had failed your <laughs> athletics check uh, mm-hmm. in order to, uh, you know, you know, I think you were trying to leap up onto the boat and you failed. Uh, and so he is trying to save you and he is holding you face-to-face uh, after he'd kind of picked you up um, by your scruff. So you're above water. You're both kind of treading water. He's holding on to you, and he says, oh, I want to make sure you were okay. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We can just... Meow. Um, does he look... Is, is he looking kindly upon Drunky? He is. Yes. Oh. Um. Drunky's he's, just he's like trying to pull the, the the water out of your out of your eyes and oh my and, god, uh, nobody's ever treated her so kindly. She says, "Have you seen my brother? <laughs> your 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 brother? Mm-hmm. I need Does to find my brother. Have eyes as mysterious as yours? No, but he is a cat." <laughs> <laughs> what about his hair? Fur. Fur? It's is not, it as, as lustrous and serene as yours? Well, it's not soaking wet, but <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm so cold, sir. Please. Well, let, me, let me get you uh, uh, where it's dry. Uh, and he he yells up to the uh, partner he has up on the boat, uh, and uh, a line is thrown down, and he grabs it with one arm, uh, and you see his his bicep mm. there is is holding on strongly, and and uh, you kind of go up, uh, almost unrealistically, but uh, still in that embrace, and are now on the deck of the ship. Oh dear, Drunky is purring quite a bit. I don't. Know of uh, any other tabaxis? Uh, you're the first one I've ever seen, but I've heard stories. I've always wanted to meet one. Oh, why? You seem so interesting and different from all the other girls I've met. 
Does Drunky see anything on this boat? Like any indication to like, who are these people? I don't remember. Make me a perception check. All right. As he glances around uh, in his uh, in his embrace as well. Oh, uh, fifteen. Fifteen. All right. So you look around and you see there's uh, several uh, crates look like they're being unloaded. Uh, one of them seems to have uh, small bottles uh, packed in it, as well as what looks like um, hilts of of swords. Uh, that don't look apparently, you know, very, very well made, but they are seem to be have produced in bulk. Oh, okay. And then, how many people are on this boat? There are three. Are they all looking at me? Now they are. Yes. Okay. Uh, one, um, you know, was was instrumental in bringing you up on on board. So, um, uh, and drunky, then with that, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Well, I mean, because he doesn't really know Tabaxi very well, Drunky's gonna like really lean into the kitty cat thing. And kind of curl up a little, like a little, make herself be like tiny and demure and kitty catish. Okay. While batting her little eyes at him. Make me a persuasion check or, um, yeah, go ahead. Make me a persuasion check. Mm, that's well, an eight. Total? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I have a four. I have a four bonus. Oh no, he rolled a four. Okay. Uh, so he uh, it doesn't change his his. It doesn't you know get stronger or weaker. He just you okay. know he seems to uh, to legitimately want to help you. But the others on board uh, are less happy about uh, a uh, a new person on their decks uh, and the. As a short man, uh, almost like a Danny DeVito-looking uh, type of human, uh, yells, What is she doing on board? And that's what we'll end. We'll find out what happens. Okay. Next time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>